In terms of the care news for today, Ben informed me this morning that his grand Selma Sutcliffe passed away yesterday morning. Um, so our sympathies to the family. Um, we need to continue to pray for Anne Wishart, who is having a hard time at the moment. And it's good to see Hannah and Ollie, I guess, and uh, JFF and yeah, all the family are over there. Fantastic. So go make yourselves known to little baby JFF after the service. Mike has asked me if I would do the pastoral prayer, so if there are any further people you would like us to pray for this morning, please let it be known now. Father, we bow before you because we recognise you as God, as our God, as our Lord and Master. We know you to be a God of love. A fantastic God who has created this wonderful world, this universe. You have put us on this planet and you've given us the stars to see, to understand your might, your power, your everlastingness. And Father, you also tell us to bring our cares and concerns to you. Thank you for encouraging us to do that Lord thank you that you want to share in our burdens to help us where we need help Father you've heard of us talking this morning about loved ones that we care for Father we pray for your peace and your comfort on the family of Selma as they come to terms with losing her at this time. Father, death is one of those things that we have to deal with. It's one of those things that you have to deal with. Father, help us to seek comfort in you, knowing that you know what we go through. Father, again we pray for Anne. Provide us with opportunities to come alongside Anne, to strengthen and encourage her to just be an ear if she needs to talk. Help us to ease the burden of what she's going through at this time. Father, it's also good that we can come and rejoice in things that you've blessed. To be able to see new baby Japheth today and to bring Hannah and Ollie and the family together here with us. It's good to know that you heal and we thank you for the blessing of healing upon Colin as he recovers from his stroke, that his vision has returned to him. I know lots of people suffer from not being able to see clearly, Father. Being able to see is a wonderful blessing that you bestow upon us and we thank you for it. And this coming week, Father, your church is going to be a busy place. It's going to be full of children who are going to come and get to know your prophet Daniel and to understand the things that he went through and hopefully learn more about you and your plan for this world. Father, bless those children as they come and may their ears be keen to learn about you. Bless all those involved in the work. Encourage them and strengthen them to do your work. And whilst it will be busy here, Father, we know that Margaret is suffering with loneliness at the moment. Father, we pray for Jan and the family 
to know what the right thing is going to be to do in the future. That the way forward be made clear to them. And again, your peace and comfort will be on Margaret and the family. And Father, we pray for Des and his work and for Phoebe and her support of Des. The hardships and whatever troubles Des is facing at the moment, Lord, we pray again that you bring a way forward and a resolution to what's happening. And in so doing so, Phoebe and Des give you praise and glory. Father, we thank you for having an ear that listens to our prayers as we share our concerns with you. Father, we just pray now that you do send your son back to us. Because whilst lots of things will go on, we know that the end game will be peace and no more sadness and no more tears, no more deaths. It's a time that we look forward to, Father, and we just pray now that it comes soon. Thank you for being our God. Amen. We're going to read together in a minute or two uh, one of the, from the daily reading plan uh, from Mark 16. It's about the resurrection. And we've got a few thoughts throughout this morning centred around the resurrection and some of the other themes from Mark 16. But I'd like us to sing together first about the resurrection and our conviction um, that we believe in Jesus, that we believe that he is risen and that because of that he is alive and working in our lives today. So if you'd like to stand and we'll sing this together. I've asked Angela if she'll come and uh, read for us uh, Mark chapter 16. Mark 16. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early, on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb. And they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. And as they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter. He is going ahead of you into Galilee, and there you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. When Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had driven seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him and who were mourning and weeping. And when they heard that Jesus was alive and that she had seen him, they did not believe it. 
Afterwards, Jesus appeared in a different form to two of them while they were walking in the country. These returned and reported it to the rest, but they did not believe them either. Later, Jesus appeared to the eleven as they were eating. He rebuked them for their lack of faith and their stubborn refusal to believe those who had seen him after he had risen. He said to them, Go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will drive out demons, and they will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands, and when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people, and they will get well. After the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven, and he sat at the right hand of God. And then the disciples went out and preached everywhere, and the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. So, we're starting in Mark 16, and we're looking at what happened to the followers of Jesus, his closest and most faithful disciples. They went on what can be described in an understated way as a dramatic journey. And at the end of that journey, they were utterly changed. And I'm hoping that as we take a little bit of a look at that journey, that we can follow along and hopefully we can be a bit changed as well in the same way. In the first few verses, we read about the women coming to the tomb, expect, knowing that their Lord, whom their entire life revolved around, was gone. And they were coming in mourning to do what they could for his body. And we're also told uh, later on, uh, when it says that Mary went and told the other disciples, it says they were mourning and weeping. That's in, down in verse 10. So that's the, that's the beginning of the story. After the crucifixion, there is just mourning and weeping and sadness. Then the most amazing thing happens that Jesus is raised from the dead. And their reaction is maybe not what you quite first expect. Um, the visiting the tomb, the women were met by angels and they were alarmed. And they, they fled. Now, for us, this is completely and utterly good news. But for these women, it didn't feel like good news. And I think the next part of the story, the next part of this journey is just confusion and doubt and unbelief and panic. 
of people being taken out of what they understand and not knowing what on earth is happening. Trembling and bewildered, the women went from their tomb and said nothing. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. And the account in Luke says about the disciples that um, they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. This is after Mary tells them. It says Peter wondered what this might mean. He just wondered what it might mean. The same story um, after Peter had been to the tomb and seen that Jesus was not there, the same, the news is told to two disciples who travel on the road to Emmaus, and we're told they have the same thing. They're just, they're walking away, everything, all is lost, and their, their faces are downcast, we say, as they recount to this stranger what happened. And even when Jesus stood in front of them in the room, there was still just confusion and doubt. Well, not just confusion and doubt. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. And after he started speaking to them, he showed them his hands and his feet. Uh, and it says, they still did not believe it because of joy and excitement. So this huge thing that has happened is taking a very, very long time to sink in. And the two on the road and the, uh, the other disciples, the eleven, hear a rebuke from Jesus. How foolish you are and slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. And later on in the parallel, uh, that was in Luke, sorry, and in Mark 16 in verse 14, it says, Later Jesus appeared to eleven, and while they were eating, he rebuked them for their lack of faith and stubborn refusal to believe um, those who had seen him after he'd risen. You've loved to have been there, though. To, uh, the, the two on Emmaus who said that didn't our hearts burn within us as he told us, as he unlocked the scriptures and said, this is what had to happen. You should have known. You should have believed. Sort of quite a strange idea, isn't it? That Jesus is actually stood there explaining to them how he could actually be there because they didn't believe he was actually there. And after it starts to sink in, after Jesus he rebukes them and he instructs them, he opens the scriptures to them, he explains to them, he eats with them just to help it to sink in. They are beginning to be changed. And he said to them, Jesus said to them, go into all the world and preach to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptised will be saved. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. 
so that's the journey. I'm going to think a little bit more about this, that last part of the journey of this great commission, as it's called, that Jesus gave to his disciples. Mourning and confusion, doubt and unbelief, through sheer joy and excitement, experiencing rebuke from Jesus, instruction from Jesus, fellowship, sharing a meal, and being given a huge, big responsibility and part to play. And there are also, we read in other accounts, as it starts to sink in, they're left with worship. That's what their response is. When they really realise what's happened and who Jesus is and his part in all creation, they worship. That's the story we're told. It starts with the crucifixion and it takes us through the resurrection with Jesus being raised to life and ends in a new closeness between us and God with worship and where we share the same goals that God and Jesus have that his power is at work within us all the signs that accompanied the disciples and all the the success they had because God was with them I believe Jesus raised from the dead. And I know that accepting that Jesus is alive is a preposterous and ridiculous thing as experienced by the disciples. It does not compute. It's really, it's just out there. But I also know that it's a source of amazement and joy. And it's of deeper comfort than anything this world can offer. And it's stronger than anything this world can throw at you. This resurrection, this miracle that God did in Jesus, very much on purpose by God, this, this resurrection message is placed at the centre of the gospel. And accepting Jesus and who he is and what he is, accepting God's power at work in the world and at work in your life is of absolutely vital importance. We're going, to, we're going to break bread and drink wine to remember this, not only this miracle, but this act of love. A miracle that is an act of love that Jesus and that God have done for us. And before, before we do that, we're going, to, we're going to sit and we're going to listen to a song. And I hope you can sing along with it as well. It's the one we played at the, begin, uh, played at the beginning. I'm going to just put the words up there and you can just listen to the music and follow the words along and then we can sing it together. And if you feel that singing it together, singing it 
is, might be a little bit difficult, just listen. Just listen to the words. Um, it's one of my most favourite songs in the world. Um, it's about who Jesus is, about how Jesus shows us who God is, about how he shows us what love really is, and how the, the ways of the invisible God are translated into human behaviour so that we can understand them. And it's also about how we respond to that, how we respond to who, who Jesus is, to the forgiveness that God has given us. But it all starts with Jesus. Fast Roy, if you come and lead us in giving thanks for the bread, please. We come to celebrate the victory that you, our Father and our Lord Jesus, have gained over sin and death. It is by your grace and your love that you have called us to follow Jesus. Remember in this bread his life given in every way, every day. We realise that we do not follow very well. And we pray for forgiveness. We realise we are weak. So we pray for your help. Because we do want to follow Jesus. Please help each of us now. And throughout the week. Please accept our praise and thanks. Amen. Jesus, thank you for this wine and for how it helps us to remember what you did for us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that that you were willing to go through what you went through because you knew it was the only way we would understand the, the extent of your love and your Father's love for us. When I think of what you did, Lord, I, I just think what, what amazing strength and courage and love and faith in your Father you showed. Love for us, putting everyone before yourself. Help us to understand, help us to believe what happened, believe that your Father raised you. Help us to believe in your love and help us to believe in your forgiveness. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. So we've remembered Jesus' love for us. And we've begun to think a little bit about our response and the response of those early disciples. Jesus is expecting a response. 
going to sing uh, a song which is taken from the words of Jesus that we're going to read shortly from John's Gospel. A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I read the Bible, I find that the style, the way it's written, is a little bit too succinct. Sometimes I want to know more. I want to know the details. And definitely it feels like that reading Mark chapter 16. For me it does. It feels like lives were transformed. The world was changed in a couple of sentences. It feels like I want to understand a little bit more. How is it happening? How does it affect me? I want to know more. So we're going to spend a few minutes just digging into some of those final verses of Mark 16. And we're going to do that by looking at some of the other things, uh, some of the later parts of the story that happened from the apostles and also some of Jesus' words, which hopefully will shed some light and we're going to start, we're going to have another reading, uh, uh, and Angela's going to read this for us, and it's Second uh, Corinthians chapter 5, sorry, Angela's already read, he's getting worried there, Maureen's going to, <laughs> Maureen's going to read this for us, Second uh, Corinthians chapter 5, and verses 11 to 21. Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord... We try to persuade men. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it's also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us, so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, It is for the sake of God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal 
through us. We implore you, on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Great. Plenty of details. I like it. So this is from later on. This is Paul the Apostle digging into, if you like, the details of this responsibility we've been given to preach, or as Paul calls it, the ministry of reconciliation. So some of those details, the mechanics, how does this work? Uh, In verse 14 it says this, I love this verse, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. This is the how, This this is the the underlying details of the story. This is how it happened. This is how 11 disciples who'd been close to Jesus changed the world. It wasn't just a miracle. It wasn't just the fact that Jesus died and rose from the dead. It was the fact that he died out of love. Christ's love compels us. It goes on in verse 18. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he committed to us the ministry of reconciliation. So, God reconciled us to himself through Jesus. Or he has put Jesus at the centre of this message and the resurrection. And then, God hands over this ministry of reconciliation, this vitally important work that brings us back to God, and he hands it over to us so that this bunch of idiots here can mess it all up. Because obviously it can't be that important then. If that's what God is doing, you started it off, you reconciled the world to God, and then he just handed it over to us. You carry on with this, I'm not interested anymore. I actually think that it's exactly the opposite. That this reconciliation is so, so important that we need to experience it. We experience it from one way, God reconciles us, but that's not enough. God wants us to experience it more. I know, I'll make them experience it from the other way around. They can experience me reconciling other people from my side. And they can know it inside out, upside down, back to front. Wow. It carries on. It doesn't stop there. In verse 20, this is what we've become. This is what God given us this ministry has made us. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. 
as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I just need to stop there and let that sink in. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through, through you, through me. Okay, so that's it. That's all we have to do. Oh, well, at least we know what our role is now. All we have to do is represent Jesus. That's easy then. So when I started the mind-boggling process of trying to understand the implications of what on earth I'm supposed to do with this information, I started, I thought about a few of the words of Jesus himself. And he talks about the details of how this is all supposed to work, how we're supposed to be Jesus to other people, how other people are supposed to understand about Jesus from us. And we, some of the words we sang in a hymn before we started. A new command I give to you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, Everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So those are the words of Jesus, some of the words from the Last Supper that we, where this feast was instituted. As Jesus ate, if you like, his last meal with the disciples before giving his life in love. And this is how it works. This is part of how it works. How other people get to understand about Jesus. Jesus first loved us. Loved us. And with that same love, the same type of love, the same quality of love. And because of that love, we love each other. Another passage came to my mind thinking about this whole idea that how we represent Jesus to other, and it's from later on in John's Gospel. I'm going to read it to you. It's starting at John chapter seven, John chapter 17, and it's starting at verse 20. And again, this is another passage from when Jesus was facing the cross with his disciples. Uh, he stood up and he gave. He looked to heaven and he gave this prayer. This is the the last. It's not the last prayer that we know about of Jesus but it's a, it's a very significant prayer of Jesus as he was facing the cross this is what he desired from God as he went to the cross so starting at verse 20 my prayer is not for them alone meaning his disciples I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one father just as you are in me and I'm in you, may they also be in us so that the world 
and they believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So Jesus, facing the cross, prayed that us, the people who have believed because of the Apostles' message, that we be one, that we be in complete unity, with the same unity, the same quality of oneness that God and Jesus themselves have with each other. And that this unity and oneness with each other and with God and Jesus is, a, is the witness is the evidence to the world about who Jesus is. About God's love being seen in action amongst us. How does this passage make you feel? This to me is one of the most hardest passages in the whole of scripture and it hits me harder than any rebuke that could have come from Jesus he faced the cross and he begged God that this is what would happen to us that we would be in unity and I take a look at what we've done with it. And it makes me feel very upset. Where is the integrity of the church? Where is the integrity of God's people? So people can look and see God's love in action. And not see selfish children fighting in a playground in rival gangs with sectarian violence in the name of Christianity, with abuse and cover-ups, with the prosperity gospel, with arguments and breakups and splits and divisions, with shouting loud about morality of society and not lifting a finger to help. This, this is a challenge to me and to you when we think about the integrity of our ambassadorship. Integrity is about being consistent and genuine and honest. About your words and your actions on every level saying the same thing. For example, if we preach Jesus is risen but then don't live our lives in a way that shows we believe Jesus is risen, that's not integrity. Or if we go on a campaign to preach about Jesus' love but yet in our everyday conversations with other people completely forget to mention the most important fact 
that supposedly changed our lives, brought us from death to life, from confusion and doubt to faith and belief and great joy. In order to reconcile people to God, in order to fulfill this ministry that Jesus has given to us, we need ourselves to be reconciled to God. And I'd like us to think just very, very briefly about what message we can preach with integrity. You see, Jesus was a man of integrity, swimming in a sea of hypocrisy. like he stood out like a well thumb on a hand of sore fingers and thumbs those who met Jesus who knew him and who heard him speak said that he spoke with authority that's what it says in the Bible that Jesus spoke with authority not like the scribes and the Pharisees and I've always thought what that meant was when people hear Jesus heard him speak and knew who he was they knew that he spoke from experience and I imagine in my head the teachers of the law standing up to teach about God and they say if we interpret these laws from this passage and this passage um, in this way if we take this particular interpretation of the many and follow this respected learned rabbi's opinion uh, on this particular and if we start with this assumption then it's reasonable to believe about God X. That's what I imagine in my mind, people, the Pharisees, they're trying to understand God from the scriptures they've been given and they're trying to interpret and struggle in and not get in there. And that's what the people were used to hearing. And then they heard Jesus. And Jesus simply spoke from his experience of God not his experience about God his experience of God simple and deep understanding of a relationship with God and he blew people away but I don't think that to have integrity in our ministry we need to be as righteous as Jesus I've got an example a made up example I've just made up that I'd like to think about okay. imagine this guy he's an alcoholic okay? Uh, and he's always going on about the virtues of being sober he's always going on about it And he tries to convince other people he knows, particularly people who are alcoholics, he tries to convince them about the virtues of staying sober. Can this man have integrity? Okay. He is genuine in his striving to stay sober, okay? But he fails frequently. All too often he reverts he relapses into being a drunk. Can he have integrity? You see, when he speaks to people 
about the virtues of being sober. He's always telling them about his own failings. And he's had enough experience of being sober lots of the time that he knows what a good thing it is. But he doesn't cover up the fact that he's a failure. He just tells people what a good thing it is to be sober. And I think, above all people, alcoholics should listen to that man. Because he's honest. He's honest and he's partway there. So how do we preach? How do we fulfil what Jesus has given us this ministry? We just have to pick a message that we can speak with authority. Talking about what we've experienced is what Jesus did. It's what the disciples did. The disciples who were witnesses. They just talked about what they'd seen what their experiences were. There's one last passage that I'd like to finish on. That's another example of somebody telling someone else what they'd seen, and it's the woman at the well. What's interesting about this passage and why I chose it is because Jesus is teaching his disciples about preaching. They were rubbish. They couldn't do it. They... Uh, and Jesus talks them through the underlying, all these details that we want to know about how it's supposed to work. So in John chapter 4, Jesus has been preaching to a Samaritan woman, and the Samaritan woman subsequently goes and preaches to her, her own village and persuades the whole lot of them. And her message was a message of integrity because she told from her experience what she'd seen. And in verse 31, Jesus says this. This is the important bit. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food you know nothing about. I don't think this is some intellectual riddle. I think for Jesus, that he really meant that this work, this preaching, was, was like food to him. Something he was consumed by and stopping to eat was not even on the agenda. That the gladness of reaching out to someone for and with God was fuel for Jesus. And later on in John chapter 4, verse 36, Jesus says, Even now the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. There's a little parable, and there's a reaper. And I think the reaper could possibly be Jesus, it could possibly be the woman, probably both, because we all share, we're all part of the same ministry. And there's a sower, and I think the sower is probably God, but it could also be Jesus in the same way. Preaching is not merely a job that we're lumbered with, it's our shared desire with God and Jesus. It's an extension of the love that we share And it's been arranged by God that way so that we may be glad together. God wants to be glad together with us. That's why he's given us this ministry of reconciliation. 
And finally, the last verse that I'm going to talk about this morning is verse 37 of chapter 4. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labour. I used to think that converting people was my job. That I had to argue and convince people by the strength of my own arguments and reasoning. And I think this is because I forgot that I was working on a team and who was on my team. It says here, others have done the hard work. God has done the hard work. God changes people's lives. God breaks down barriers. God moves people. We just come in and do the easy work, relatively speaking. So if we are Jesus' ambassadors, we're honoured and privileged to see God working in other people's lives. If we don't get involved, we miss out on experiencing God's power. We miss out on witnessing and sharing with God the thrill and excitement in other people's lives as they turn to Jesus. going to finish by singing two hymns together. This is the pattern we've been thinking about this morning, the recurring theme. At first God reconciles us, that first God loves us, and then we take part, we take that same love and we help God, we are part of his ministry in sharing that with others. And this hymn is over and over again, that same pattern in our lives. Father in heaven, we thank you that you came to us and that you did what you always wanted to do Lord you brought us back to you and we know what it cost you to make us listen we thought about Jesus' sacrifice this morning but Lord we thank you that you raised him and that you are along with Jesus, working in our lives. Father, help us to continue to be reconciled to you. Help us to share your love, to see the world as you see it, Lord. To love the people that you love and to want to share that love with them, Lord. Father, we need your help. Father, come alongside us. Help us, build us up and go with us. We pray these things in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.